This is the Brew World Order Podcast. Welcome to the Brew World Order Podcast, the podcast where we talk to brewery owners and ask questions about owning a brewery so that future brewery owners can learn a thing or two. My name is Mike Curtin, and if you haven't subscribed yet, just move your fingers around and press some buttons on your phone. I'm sure one of them is it. This is episode 66, and in this episode, I sit down with Armando Dodona, co-owner of Long Live Beer Works in Providence, Rhode Island. Armando tells me how they dealt with the COVID shutdowns and made it work for them so that they could stay in business, how dealing with untapped and Yelp reviews in the beginning threw him for a loop, and how on paper his business is successful and his peers look at Long Live as a success, but Armando still feels humble to the point where he always needs to keep going and reaching for the moment where he truly feels successful. I could totally relate to what Armando is saying. I'm 66 episodes in, started back in 2019, work hard at editing every episode, and continue posting on social media. And I still don't feel that successful. Even though the three people who listen to the podcast tell me it's great. I don't know. Maybe the fourth listener will be the one that changes my mind. We'll see. I'm just kidding, people. It's what I do. I'm just a silly bastard. I appreciate every one of you that takes out the time to listen to the podcast. I wish I could buy you all a beer. I know that one day it'll come when I open my own brewery. But in the meantime, you crack open one of yours. You sit back and enjoy the podcast. Thank you. Armando Dodona was born and raised in West Haven, Connecticut. Growing up, his friends, who he would attend New England Revolution soccer games with, started to get into homebrewing, and it was during that time that Armando's interest in homebrewing started to grow as well. As a gift, his sister brought Armando a homebrewing kit from Marshall's. He brewed his first two batches, and they would come out not so tasty. But after that, he would up his game by moving on to five-gallon kettles and plastic carboys. From there, his beers would get significantly better, as he would continue to homebrew for the next 15 years. Armando would reach a point in his life where he was ready for a career change. He looked towards getting a job at a brewery, but there weren't many around the area he lived in Rhode Island. He finally hit a boiling point where he was over his job. His wife told him to write down three things he loved and see if he could start a business with it. One of those things just happened to be beer, and it was at the top of his list. He decided to attend Brew Lab in England to learn more and perfect his craft. In 2014, he would finish his schooling, and when he came back, he would go full force towards opening what is now known as Long Live Beer Works. And Armando was here with me today. Armando, how's it going? Good. Pretty good. During that process of opening your brewery from the start when you first thought of the idea to the moment you opened your doors, what would you say was the most challenging part for you? The most challenging part was all the paperwork I had to do. Zoning work, zoning, working, waiting for the zoning change and having to go to zoning hearings and uh, meetings with the head of the zoning board. It was very time consuming. And then it was convincing city inspectors that we're not some giant bomb that they can go off any second. Right. Uh, that was really the most challenging part of it. Uh, and that and waiting on construction time. Construction took way longer than it should. I think it always does for every hurry for the most part. Yeah, right. Usually take that time and then double it up. And what was that that aha moment for you? What was the moment that, that sticks out that when you were like, I'm doing this, it's happening, and you started going full force towards opening a brewery? That moment happened about almost we're almost in the home stretch of opening, and I was still working my full-time job. And at the time, I was a uh, union bricklayer, and I kept having this nightmare that I was going to fall off the staging 
and in a very specific location and fall to my death. Whoa. And then uh, one day I was at work and it felt just like that dream. So I just said, I quit. And then I went to uh, trying to get the brewery ready full time instead of working full time and uh, working on the brewery over the weekends. Gotcha. And uh, where did you wind up coming up with the name for your brewery, Long Live? Uh, originally, we were coming up, me and my wife were coming up with concepts of, you know, beer is dead, long live beer. Right. Uh, and that's pretty much where it came from. And we w- really wanted to be called Long Live Beer at the time, but somebody had a website called Long Live Beer, just right over the border in Massachusetts. Uh, so we switched to uh, Long Live Beer Works. Very nice. And how did you go about choosing the location you first opened in? Because now you're in a different location now, which is really nice. How did you first go about finding that location? We lived on the west side of Providence, which is like it's, it's pretty much like its own small town. It used to be the affordable side of town, and then it turned into the cool side of town. Right, right. Okay. And we knew we wanted to be on the west side. So I was constantly looking at real estate ads and listings. Our space came up for rent, that whole building was just being fixed up and everything was going to be for rent. And it was right around the corner from one of our favorite bars, two of our favorite bars, which is the Avery, which is a speakeasy cocktail beer bar. Right. And then there's the E&O Tavern, which recently closed, which was like a, a great dive that we used to go to pretty much every Friday. Very cool. And uh, how did you go about finding the capital to fund your business? Pretty much self-funded. We had some savings because, to be honest, we lived absolutely frugal for a very long time. At one point in my life, I was dead broke, flat broke, had zero money, and my wife was in college at the time. And we weren't married yet, and she was stealing food from the cafeteria to help feed me. Right. <laughs> I was broke and jobless. So from that point on, that was very early in our relationship. I just we just became money conscious. Right. And uh, we saved money, didn't really spend too much money, and then... We built a brewery for a song, for an absolute song. And then we also, um, I had a union uh, annuity, which is like a 401k, and I was able to borrow against that for like 2%. Right. You were open for, I'd say about four years before the whole COVID uh, shutdowns happened. How did you go about handling that, pivoting to make your business work for you? We basically, for the first year of COVID, we were flat out making as much beer as we possibly could make and didn't really feel too much different and then you know people were getting stimulus checks or unemployment was very easy to get right people were still spending money for the most part for the second year of covid what we did was because everything changed in the second year for everybody across the board we just um cut production by a quarter just slowed down a little bit we we don't do a lot of distribution we barely do any okay we just sell retail out of the tap room for uh, me and my wife, Jessica, it's about having control over the sale of our product. Instead of keep production going and putting up numbers and trying to find places for it to go, we just slow down a bit. Gotcha. Did you have to wind up laying anybody off at the time, or were you able to keep all your employees on? Uh, we At the beginning of COVID, we had to lay off the vast majority of our staff because right. we didn't have a chopper anymore. There really wasn't room for... The majority of the front of the house. We kept two full-time people from the front of the house. A couple other full-time people all were really sick at the beginning, so we just couldn't have them come in. At the, t- the beginning of COVID, nobody really knew what it was, so anybody that was sick just couldn't come in, and that included some full-time people. Right. And it actually took them a long time to get better, 
to feel better. And at that point, we didn't really have the room for them except for uh, back of the house. We just kept it like a skeleton crew. Gotcha. Pandemics aside, obviously, but what's something when opening your brewery? Is it something you never thought you were going to have to deal with? Uh, when I first opened, I never thought I was going to have to deal with the amount of criticism that I got, good and bad. I was from the other end, and um, you know, when Untapped first came out, I definitely wrote a couple of mass MEH <laughs> right. uh, on, on people, and uh, definitely... Uh, I've only written one Yelp review ever, and it was about a bowling alley. Okay. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, I was just really unaware of the amount of criticism that we were getting from consumers, good and bad. Right. Yeah. It's uh, social media, and everybody's a critic nowadays, and it's pretty wild. It was a bit overwhelming at first. I, I completely get it. And what are some qualities that you possess that make you a good business owner? When I when I think of my qualities, I think of the scene from Gladiator when uh, Joaquin Phoenix is describing his qualities, okay. and one of them is ambition and relentlessness. You know, yeah, it's in my mind to always do better and make things better. You know, we're six years in, and I still wake up in the middle of the night thinking how I could change a procedure, alleviate a problem. My me and my wife always had um, a motto: if we can't afford to change something we could fix it with hard work and a little thought right and that's uh, pretty much been our motto all this whole time so hard work grinding out hours i have no issue doing that whatsoever i've definitely done some 48 hour days at the brewery right where <laughs> I, I just never left and just kept working yeah so I, I think that's one of my qualities is creativity and hard work with my wife helping me she is organization and procedural and she's also creative. She does all of our social media. She does our labels and a lot of design, even in the brewery. Very cool. Yeah, I I, I hear that from pretty much everybody that, uh, you know, owning a brewery is, is not a nine-to-five job. So if you think that's what's going to come with it, it's the exact opposite. Yeah, definitely <clears throat> not a nine-to-five job. I yeah, kind of no. miss those days. And what do you think's the biggest lesson you've learned so far since opening? It's a good one to listen to your consumers. That's probably the biggest lesson. Okay. Lesson to the consumer. Right. Um, there's like the argument over who dictates the market, the creator, the manufacturer, or the consumer. It's a combination of both. You have to be innovative and you have to listen to your <clears throat> consumer to see if they like something or not. Right. I know you've probably come across many people in the beer industry, even before you opened your brewery, but who do you think's inspired you the most in the beer industry? I get inspiration from just about every brewery out there and it's good or bad. First started dating my wife and I, we were, we were going to breweries in the early two thousands. Right. We still go to a ton of breweries. Like if we take a trip, we'll probably hit about 10 breweries in like two days. Usually we find inspiration in every, everything. The key inspiration for me for opening a brewery was we had a local brewery here and it was a group of friends. They were home brewers and they had a one barrel kit. And then within like two years, they had a 20 barrel kit and they really inspired me to open up a brewery. They did make horrible, horrible beer though, and have since called it quits, but uh, they did inspire me to open up a brewery because if those guys could do it, I figured I could do it, you know? Right. Well, sorry to hear that they made horrible beer, even though they inspired you. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I can say that 
because my two two of my brewers, uh, ex brewers, used to work there, and we just would joke about it. Right. So, how do you define success? And is there a moment that sticks out for you that you kind of look back on where you're like, this is a moment that kind of you knew things were going in the right direction? That is a. I know I keep saying that's a good question, but uh, how do you define success? I I really can't tell you because even six years in, uh, we don't feel successful. Although we do hear from our peers that like who look up to us that we are successful, we never feel it. To be honest with you, right? You know, every week still feels like a street fight in a way where we're trying to learn and grow and push forward and deal with a, a new issue or an old issue that re- keeps reoccurring. So success, I I really can't tell you. Like I okay. know on paper we're successful. It's easy to you know navel gaze or think about your problems when you have, but we do have a lot of success here. We absolutely do, but it never it still just does not feel like it at all. Right. I'm not talking about like sales or anything. It's just I haven't. I still have like a weird bug up my butt that I need to make a better product or something new all the time. You know. Right. We we you know been for six years. I probably made about three or four hundred IPAs, different IPAs, and I still feel like I haven't nailed it yet. So as far as being successful, yeah, I guess we are. But I just I just don't feel like it. Just constantly chasing perfection. Chasing perfection, like yeah, I mean that's like if you were to ask me like what would be the meaning of life, I would say it would be the pursuit of satisfaction. So maybe like the meaning of owning a business is the the pursuit of success. Right. And is there, um, as the second part of that question, is there a moment that, that sticks out for you where, where things were kind of going? I know there was a, a huge line out the front door on your opening day, but something similar to that, that kind of just stuck out to you as we're doing good here. We're moving in the right direction. Once we started canning, we would just start selling out a beer instantly. And that was That's just... Awesome. Like, uh, that was an aha moment for us. Uh, meaning like at that, all of a sudden we just could not make enough beer in our tiny little space that we had and it felt good, you know? And, um, it was just like a shock, a shock to me, you know? Of course. I'm sure. Yeah. First, I'm sure the first time it happens, you're like, whoa, that is uh that's surreal almost. There's about give or take, I believe like 40 breweries in Rhode Island now. Much. Right. I hear a lot of, you know, there's a lot of like almost like a brotherhood and everybody helps. Everybody wants to see everybody do good. But uh, how do you go about staying ahead of the competition? You know, it's just pushing innovation and pushing your product, playing with new ingredients, new techniques. Early on, we, you know, there's a few of us breweries, you know, doing the IPAs were relatively new at the time. Uh, and there was like two local breweries making them in Rhode Island, and it was Proclamation Ale and Tilted Barn Brewery. We, it, it felt like a good, friendly competition to see who could make uh, a higher acclaimed, high, uh, more sought after beer. Um, right. You know, pushing your hopping rates, using different hops. At the time, access to certain hops were unavailable to me. You know, we just kept going and going, pushing harder. At the same time, still relatively friendly with each other right. um, even to the point of where we used to um, you know if we had a weekly canning release we would stagger it with other breweries we'd like a few times like send a text to this other brewery and like are you releasing a can on 
Wednesday? And they, they, they said, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, then I'll do Thursday. Because we just didn't really, well, it is a competition. We didn't want to step on each other's toes. Right, you know of course. And I know it could be uh, very stressful owning a business. How important is a mental break for you? And what does that look like? Uh, I don't think I really do get those breaks. I mean, like traveling is great for clearing your head and uh, picking up inspiration. Pretty much all we do when we travel, my wife and I, is drink a ton of alcohol, <laughs> eat a lot of food, and like walk around cities. Right. We recently went to Charleston, uh, North Carolina, and there's a ton of breweries in town. There's like yes. A lot right next to each other. And so we walk to like from one to another to another to another and just, you know, have a, a beer in each one. Um, I love uh, checking out breweries, especially new breweries. Um, I recently checked out a few breweries that opened up in the past couple, past year or so in uh, Rhode Island this weekend. And uh, it is really inspiring just to go to a new brewery. Every time I go to a new brewery, you know, it's I always pick up something. Right. Something that I, you know, can appreciate or admire. So for clearing my head, what do I do? Traveling. Do uh, We do a lot of walking, my wife and I. Right. Uh, you know, we instead of driving somewhere, we usually just walk there. Nature helps out too. For sure. But, uh, you know, usually just do a lot of beer drinking. That's not it. Yeah, I like, I like to compare going to a bunch of breweries as uh, almost like just seeing other people's artwork almost like an art exhibit you know because it's i feel like uh you see different it's a different canvas every single time not every brewery looks the same some do but like you get to see other people's artwork out there and like their experimentation with beers and you know it's almost like a like a walking into a new palette every single time it's kind of interesting i uh, i like that analogy to be honest with you because yeah. it is like making beer is very creative and it's like a creative release for a lot of people, uh, a lot of like brewers were artists in some way. Uh, I know right. that Dave, who uh, recipes used to be the owner of Brewer Proclamation, was a musician, and uh, so he, I know from one of his staff, that he sort of related to like songs or albums every beer, you know. Um, right. And it, it is really like a creative release. I need to make something, you know. I can't have a job where I don't physically make something. You know, it's fun to see someone's interpretation of a style. You know, I'm not really too strict. We do make some traditional beers that are by some guidelines. Right. But I'm really not too strict when it comes to tradition or guidelines. And it's very interesting to taste someone else's um, interpretation of like a New England IPA or stout, fruited sour. We had a Russian brewer step by and he brought some of his fruited sours and they tasted so bizarre to me because even though like it's like i know the fruits that he used in it but these are all like russian grown fruits right like russian grown blackberry and it tasted so different than ours way 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 different so yeah i mean i guess you know and most breweries do look a little different i guess a lot can look the same they might have like the corrugated uh metal around the bar and like the, the simple bar stools right that's what we for sure. to have and uh and I think we're moving in the direction where breweries are going to be looking better and better uh, in, and moving out of, like, you know, industrial parks and, uh, you know, uh, metal warehouses in the middle of nowhere. Not that that's bad or anything. It's just uh, uh, the consumers becoming more finicky of where they want to go and spend their money. Right. 
Yeah, I was actually just talking to somebody about that, about how uh, they, you know, like that's where you usually find them inside industrial parks because it is a factory. Uh, you're brewing and, and you need a big facility, and that's usually where you find it. But it's nice to be able to be on like a main street somewhere, you know, and be yeah, able and yeah. be able to do what you do. Yep. Within, yep. you know, in like walking distance of a, a daily chore, like going to the bank or something and be like, I'm going to go to the bank and then stop in for a beer. So... Yeah, I mean, I hope to see that more and more. I think everybody does. But speaking of that change, uh, what do you think has been the biggest change in the last five years in the industry for you? For, for me personally, for our business personally, the biggest right. change is, I really can't say because it feels like nothing changes at all. It feels like, like the same day. <laughs> That's bad. It's just I like focus so much on work that I never feel like anything ever changes. Right. But I think in the industry, the acceptance of new styles of beer, when we first started, there was not a ton of New England IPAs around. I mean, we're not that far from Treehouse and Trillium and those guys, right. you know, makes some of the best IPAs in the world. Yeah, definitely. Um, really good. And um, and at the time, there wasn't any, like, New England IPAs on the shelves and liquor stores. And then, like, there a few came around, and now it's mostly New England IPAs. So the acceptance of styles too. Like a highly fruited sour at the Extreme Beer Fest, you might have had someone might have had like a cucumber goza and like a pastry style and like maybe a mixed culture aged mixed culture beer and this would have been at the Extreme Beer Fest. Well everything that was extreme five years ago is like normal, absolutely normal now. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, we do a lot of high gravity stouts Stouts being one of my favorite styles to drink. And, you know, we do have some mixed culture stuff, but I, I tend to buy more of that, of that than make that, to be honest with you. And, you know, it used to be very hard to come across certain styles. Now, you know, it's, it's everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere. So what I think that's the biggest change that I've noticed is what used to be extreme and rare is now the absolute normal. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say was your gateway beer? into the craft beer world? My gateway beer was Newcastle Brown Ale. Newcastle, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when, I, uh, when I was about 19, I was dating this uh, 23-year-old lady, and um, she used to sneak me into the bar. They actually never parted me till I turned 21, but like, <laughs> I would order a Newcastle Brown Ale because someone I knew would order one. Uh, my friend Dennis, that was like my, wow, beer has flavor, you know, beer right. can have flavor. Yeah. And then after that, the bar, we went to this bar called Rudy's in New Haven, a dive bar that's been there since like the sixties. But one day they got magic hat number nine on draft nice. and that blew me away. That blew me away. Yeah. That was a big and, one. Uh, that was a big one for me as well. Uh, and an another, another beer, I have to say that, kind of like made me think like what is this flavor was we used to taking the train to um manhattan used to only cost like ten dollars for a round trip ticket through oh. metro north okay and we'd go to uh like as like young punks we'd go to like thompson square park and buy like beer from uh bodegas and i bought a Valentine's, and i was just like what am i tasting in this beer, which is like a pretty like old school IPA. Right. You know? Yeah. And, 
I was like, what is this? Because at the time we were drinking the absolute, you know, as underage kids, we drink whatever we can pay someone to buy for us, of which course. usually was like Nat- Schaefer or Red Dog right. or Milwaukee's Best, you know. Natty Ice and all so, those good ones. Yeah. <laughs> we used to, there's plenty of like people, like homeless, not necessarily homeless, but like street people that would, would give him money to buy beer and give him five bucks and a thank you beer and they'd get us like, like a 30 pack of beer you right. know friends would like drink it like in an alley or something you know or, or someone's apartment so it started out with newcastle brown then uh magic hat number nine and valentine's around the same time gotcha and what would you say is next for your brewery what does the future look like for long live that is i wish i knew that answer to be honest with you I ask myself that every day. Uh, the future is we are definitely looking to expand and grow. Uh, I really don't want to give away any, like any information, but, uh, we're definitely going to trying to expand into other states as, as in maybe opening up, opening up another brewery in another state. Very cool. Uh, we still want to be like the small family mom and pop brewery though, you know, um, for, Majority of our staff are all really close, especially during COVID. We'd like spend holidays with each other. You know, uh, we closed the brewery for one of my taproom staff's wedding. We closed on a Saturday on like the busiest Saturday too. So it's, you know, we'll make those sacrifices for the people who work for us. Of course. Um, we're going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep pushing to make, trying to make the best IPAs and ex- keep experimenting. We've got like a few maybe projects right. happening that we're work, like we're working on. But I don't really want to talk about them until like everything's set in stone, you know. Definitely would like to open up and build out another brewery. That's not necessarily in the works. I'm waiting for the perfect spot. Right. Perfect uh when the time location. is right. Yeah. All right. And then um opening up another brewery in another state. That's what we're actually pursuing right now. We'll most likely start doing a little self distrib uh in Rhode Island. Um up until recently it wasn't allowed. Now we have a little bit looser laws and uh, self-distribution is something I'm actually looking forward to. I don't want this brewery to stay like elusive and hard to get. I definitely like to see our stuff on our uh, liquor store shelves someday. Right. Me yeah. too. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, keep trying. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty much about it. I mean, okay. we keep, uh, we keep hemming and hawing over like a restaurant concept for the brewery, like in another location. Um, right. But COVID really put a stop to a lot of our plans that we had. Yeah. I think uh, I did that to a lot of people, you know, kind of put a kink in the plans when everybody was like, oh, you know, like this is the next step and this is the next step. And we're going to go here and we're going to do this and things were going well. And then all of a sudden it was just like halt. Yeah. So, definitely. I yeah. mean, uh, for the first time in a long time, 2020, we, uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to start traveling a lot. And our plan was to travel uh, once a month. And in January, I think we went to Texas, Dallas, and Austin. February, we went to Maine. March, we went to Florida, Jacksonville, Miami. And then COVID hit. And then that was the end of that for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, You're making nice little rounds there, though. But it's crazy. Thank God everything's kind of going back to normal now. And hopefully uh, that won't happen again. But if someone came to you and asked you for advice on opening their own brewery, what would you tell them? actually just gave advice to someone the other day for that specific person i was like you should hire a social media person because you're another old guy like me and you really have no business running your social media right i would say 
make sure that you can withstand like a two-year build-out just in case because uh, especially with COVID right now, um, construction costs are all-time high, material costs are all-time high. Yeah. And I would say make sure you have a way to sustain living while you endure the construction build-out. That and don't open up in Rhode Island because we're still a little backwards here. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. In Massachusetts, breweries have uh, pretty much carte blanche of what they can do. They can sell distro. They can sell as much cans as they want, as much pours. But in Rhode Island, we're um, we keep pushing for changes, but we're allowed to sell thirty six ounces of house beverage. So that's three twelve ounce pours, and we just got it raised to two cases of beer to go, and uh, we just got a little bit of self distro. So it's a little harder to do business here. Yeah. But you could just, it's such a small state, you could just go over the border to Massachusetts and open up a brewery and do whatever you want, pretty much. Yeah, right. Sounds a little complex. But, uh, yeah, I opened up in Rhode Island, but I don't, I live in Providence, 2006, and uh, we're not going to live anywhere else. Right. I'm sure you wouldn't want to travel, have a huge travel in the morning. God forbid anything does happen in the brewery, you probably want to be really close by, especially, you know, when you're in the in the opening stages. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Living close is nice. I used to live um, about half a mile away from here. Now I live across town. Really no big deal. Right. I don't have to come in as early as I used to. I used to get to work at like 6 a.m. Now I like I like the term 8-ish. I'll come in around 8-ish. Right. That's, uh, that's a good time for me. You just roll in 9 o'clock. I said 8-ish. <laughs> <laughs> it, it varies. So I'm like... <laughs> wake up early and I got like thoughts in my head. I'll just come straight to work and I'll get her like whenever I wake up, it could be four in the morning or whatever and start working on projects. Or if I'm like, I want to chill and have coffee at home, it'll be like eight or nine in in the morning, you know? Gotcha. And you, do you happen to have a funny story for us? I do. Uh, My wife doesn't think it's funny. Uh She thinks it's uh, Uh gross. Uh, Like when I brewed my first batch of beer in the, um, original spot i uh went to dry hop in the top port of the tank and i didn't use the ladder like i should have it was a step ladder and instead of unfolding it i leaned it up against the tank oh no and um when i was pouring the hops in the ladder slipped and i knocked a valve off with my head on the tank wow and beer is gushing out and uh but I was able to like grab a valve, a clean valve out of a bucket and throw it on, seal up the gusher. Uh, and, and in our old spot, the whole front is windows and it was tiny. So while I did all that and I had a big wound on my head and I'm like, uh, I had blood pouring down my face. I looked out the front door, which is about 20 feet away. And there's like a couple like <laughs> staring at me, like gaped mouths open, like in shock of what I was doing. And my face, it, I look like, carry yeah okay yeah <laughs> but, uh, yeah it was that. i think that was a, i think that was a funny story i don't know maybe it's not yeah i mean that. i've heard many many brewing mishaps and this that's uh i haven't heard that one though yeah i mean that sucks i have some other stories but i don't want to tell them on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> that's fine maybe if i swing by the brewery uh when i'm on a trip to rhode island uh this summer you can tell me in person <laughs> yeah definitely awesome definitely <laughs> So, I have a little segment called Quick Fire Five. Five quick questions, beer related. You ready? Sure. Yep. I hope I'm quick. That's all I can say. Yeah. Somebody comes into your brewery. What's one of the beers you recommend they try? Uh, Definitely the All Seeing Eye. It's a flagship uh, beer. It's one of the earliest beers that we canned. 
and it's probably our most well-known beer and it's been our most consistent beer we've had since we've opened and you know i like it awesome if you can collaborate with any other brewery on a beer who would it be uh it would definitely be trillium i uh, definitely asked and i uh, got a like a wait and see reply right i think that they make some of the best beer in the world everything they do is uh great and um I, you know, I look up to them. Yeah, they're definitely one of my uh, top favorites, for sure. Favorite name you've come up with for one of your beers? Uh, I would say it's a beer called Fruit Dudes. We called it Fruit Dudes. Fruit Dudes. It's like a sour beer with uh, raspberry, pineapple, and vanilla. My wife does our labels, so I you know, usually just shoot her over the information. And I had like a list of like five names, and that's... Out of the five names for that one beer, that's the only one she would allow me to use. Like, usually kiboshes, kiboshes or vetoes, right. certain names. I like the absurd and the silly, but, uh, you know, the consumer's not going to understand where it comes from. Gotcha. Barrel-aged, imperial, or both? Uh, both, definitely. I have a ton of, that's, like, my my thing. I have, like, a warehouse full of barrel-aged stouts. Awesome. Awesome. I just, I, I love stouts. I love yeah. barrel-aged stouts, and, like, I'll just... I'll like go through and try to sample, leave like two hours later drunk from drinking like one ounce samples, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, my, my barrel farm over there. Right. I think that was my uh, favorite trip out to Alesmith because they have the Speedway stout, but they have so many different varieties of it. Oh, I, I, I didn't want to leave. And you have one keg of beer to hold you over for a two week quarantine. Which beer are you choosing? But I definitely would uh, pick our. Uh, we have a fooder pilsner on draft called uh, Fooder Age Robot House, and I I definitely would drink that. It's got great toasty fooder flavor, you know, oak flavor, and then it has like a lot of that slight lime flavor we get from our yeast that we use for pilsners. It's really drinkable and crushable. Gotcha. Well, uh, Armando, that's all I have for you, man. All right, cool. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I'm Mike Curtin for the yeah. Brewer Daughter Podcast. Here with Armando Didona, owner of Long Live Beer Works in Providence, Rhode Island. Thank you, man. Yep, thank you. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening to my interview with Armando Didona, co-owner of Long Live Beer Works in Providence, Rhode Island. Whether you're passing through, you live in the area, just visiting a friend nearby, definitely check them out. Their outside sitting area is absolutely gorgeous on a summer day. Also, give them a follow on social media while you're at it. Also, give them a follow on social media while you're at it because they have amazing artwork on their beer cans, and they'd love for you to see it. Every other Sunday, I'll be releasing a new episode, so subscribe, and you'll never miss one. Also, check us out on social media, because I'm asking you to. And I'll give you updates on the podcast. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order Podcast. You stay safe out there.